Welcome to Foothills Youth Podcast, where we help people follow Jesus. I hope these resources are a blessing to you. We are a student ministry based out of Northwest Calgary, and our hope, our desire, is that we see students become resilient disciples in a post-Christian nation. So may this podcast just be a blessing to you in your journey. Welcome to the podcast this week. Uh, my name is Nick Kennedy. I'm joined by a very special guest, myself. Um, this is going to be a really great podcast, don't you think, Nick? Yes, I do. Um, yeah, it's just me today, but that's all right. We're gonna we're gonna have a conversation about Mark chapter four. Uh, we're gonna talk about verses thirty-five to forty-one. For those of you who um, maybe haven't read that um, recently, it is. Uh, the story of Jesus calming the storm. Um, but before we get into it, uh, yeah, just wanted to um, say welcome to the podcast. If you guys have, um, if you only follow our podcast, then I just wanted to let you know we also uh, record videos on Wednesday. We go live at 7 p.m. on YouTube. Uh, you can find us on YouTube um, as Foothills Youth. That's our channel. Um and you can, it, it'll be the same photo as you see on our podcasts as well. So yeah, I recommend checking us out there. Uh, we're going to have sort of the way we break this down is we have a, a shorter conversation on Wednesdays, uh, but it's more of a, um, more of a sermon version. And then we have more of a conversation about the verse uh, and about the passage and topic and such on our podcast here. So those are different ways to get in touch with us or to, to get involved in our content. If you want to get in touch with us, the best way to do that is on Instagram. You can find us at foothills underscore youth. Uh, if you look that up on Instagram, you will find our page. Again, same photo. You'll be able to recognize it and send it a DM. And either Andrew or I will get back to you as soon as we can. That kind of sounds like a uh, kind of sounds like a, a answering machine message back in the day when when you could make up like fun ones or I guess you still can, but people don't anymore, uh, which is kind of a bummer if you think about it. Like those were so fun when people would like take songs and such or they'd get uh, instead of like autographs, those autographs were cool, but you try to get a famous person to, to record your voicemail for you. Um, I'm not famous, but I'll do it for you. Uh, <clears throat> the person you are trying to call is not available. They are currently taking over Gotham City and fighting Batman one-handed. They are winning, and they're incredible. Please leave them a message after the beep. So you guys can like clip that if you want. Use it as a use it as an answering machine, I suppose. Um, however, I don't recommend it if you have like a a phone that you're waiting to get job offers on because. Yeah, I don't think that would go over too well. Okay, well, let's uh, let's jump into it here. So I'm going to read out the passage for you first, and then uh, we'll just kind of run through it quickly, verse by verse. Uh, this isn't going to be a terribly long podcast, which I suppose you can already tell by looking down at the bottom and seeing how long it is. Um, I don't know how long it's going to be yet because I'm currently recording it, and there's no... <laughs> there's no way for me to look into the future. All right, here we go. Once again, it is Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, 
Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind them, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also others in boats with them, uh, rather in other boats. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat. So it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked, Uh, They asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So that's our passage for today. Um, Yeah, I've been uh, kind of getting more into the style of um, expository um, preaching, sort of as as quarantine has gone on. Uh, For a little while pre-quarantine, we were going more based on topics, um, which, you know, there's a time and a place for that for sure. Uh, but I really miss the the breaking down of scripture verse by verse by verse um, and really diving into each one because every story has an overarching um, message and, and um, topic that you can get out of it by just reading the whole thing and dissecting it as one story, one large story. But um, I'm finding that I'm getting, I, I, I do get more out of it when I break it down verse by verse. And I hope you guys do too. Um, so yeah, that's what we're going to do. There's only uh, six verses, if I'm not mistaken. 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41. Seven verses. Um, so we won't, uh, we won't spend terribly long uh, recording this today. But yeah, we'll break it down. So verse 35, it says, uh, and again, this is the NIV. I don't know if I specified that before, but this is the NIV. Verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Um, Now he was referring, of course, to the Sea of Galilee. And to give some context to this story, Jesus had been in a boat for the last, I don't know, hour or so. Maybe more, maybe less. I I really couldn't tell you how long um, he was in that boat for. Um but he has been in a boat just offshore teaching people uh, who were standing on shore. So all of his parables about the mustard seed and the parable of growing seeds and lamp on a stand and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, he has been preaching those from a boat in the water to a crowd who is on shore. And I'm sure there were other boats in the water as well that maybe they were out fishing and they had pulled up beside him. But, um, to, to give it a bit of context, uh, picture a, um, a deserty, mountainy kind of landscape. So um, it's not going to be just sand, but it's going to be lighter colored dirt, um, very dry um, in some areas, uh, and, and not necessarily cliffs down into the water or anything like that. But um, yeah, you could, you could, it wouldn't be a beach necessarily. It would be more of like a um, maybe a five, ten foot drop into the water uh, over rocks and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, kind of that. That's sort of how I pictured it. That's kind of what the 
landscape around the Sea of Galilee looks like in a lot of areas. Um, the Sea of Galilee as well, it, it's about 13 miles long, which in kilometers, I don't actually know because I, I was looking up the size of the Sea of Galilee and uh, all of the sources were in Imperial. Um, but uh, the joys of running a podcast like this is that I can be using Google at the same time. And so 13 miles is approximately 20 kilometers long. Um, so the lake was about, or the sea is about 20 kilometers long and about 13 kilometers wide, um, which is pretty cool. So there, that gives you a little bit of context for, for kind of the sea that they were in, where they were in when he was preaching. Now, the Sea of Galilee, uh, it, it is known for sudden storms and uh, and squalls like is described in the story here so it's important to know that a lot of the disciples would have been aware of that because they were fishermen so they were fairly comfortable out on the water um, they would have been pretty good at reading the winds and looking at the looking at the uh, clouds and sort of being able to judge like yeah you know what it's safe to go out now or no it's probably not um, so it's very important that we we kind of know that because I think that plays more of a more of a role in this story than it's often given. But something that I read this week and and I think um, I think it's an interesting statement about this first verse is that it says, "Let us go over to the other side." That's Jesus saying, "Let us go over to the other side." It doesn't say let us go drown in the middle of the sea. So although Jesus was fully human, he was also fully divine. And I truly believe that Jesus had no intention of letting them drown. Um, though, of course, they, they didn't seem to catch on. So moving on then, verse 36 says, Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And... I guess what's interesting about this verse to me is that there almost seems to be a perceived haste uh, in which they left with. I think that um, I think that the the disciples who were fishermen probably realized, you know, this isn't necessarily the right time to leave. Like if we wanted to leave, maybe we should have left at this time of the day rather than this time because um, Jesus has been preaching for a while. Um, it's not early morning anymore, which I don't know if that's when they would have gone out fishing, but I would assume it would be. Uh, that's often when boats leave is, is in the morning. So I would, I would figure that that's probably when the fishermen or the disciples would want to have left. Um, but I think they probably looked out and they thought, okay, you know what, if we go quick, we can probably make it. Um, so... I don't think Jesus, however, was that concerned about the weather. And I think he, he wasn't because he knew what faith in God was capable of. Um, whereas I think the disciples were kind of concerned from the get-go, and I think that's why they left so quickly. It says that they took him along just as he was in the boat. Like, he was already in the boat. They weren't like, okay, you know what, yeah, we can leave now run to shore, grab some provisions, and then let's go. It was like a, nope, we're in the boat. We've got 20 kilometers. We got to go now. If we're going to go now, it now is the time. 
And of course, Jesus would have been exhausted. And we'll talk a little bit more about that um, in, in a couple of verses here. But yeah, I think they recognized Jesus's exhaustion. I think they recognized the desire to cross the sea. And, and they just knew simply that um, it wouldn't have been an option to go ashore or um, even really to anchor around the corner because um, if a storm were to come, they would have been blown into the side of the into into the side of the rock. So I think they they took a bit of a risk. Obviously, we we know that now in hindsight, but at the time before they knew a storm was coming, I think they knew it was a little bit of a risk, but they were willing to take that risk because they figured they could probably make it across the across the sea in time. And, and so I guess this is sort of turning into a story of of disciples of humans having more faith in their own physical abilities which are far less powerful than the abilities and the power that holy spirit gives us those divine abilities that god has um and, and this is kind of turning into one of those stories where where often it's easier to not trust those um, unseen abilities as much as it is our own physical capabilities, which, again, are, are um, not nearly as powerful as God. So verse 37, a furious squall comes up. Uh, how the verse says, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Um, like I said, this is, you know, the Sea of Galilee is known for incredible storms and, and it's known for how quick they can come upon them. Um, there's, there's really not much to, to dissect out of this. This is just kind of explaining. This is what was happening. A crazy storm came out of pretty much nowhere. It even caught the disciples off guard. Many of who were fishermen, um, who thought, you know, we can probably make it. One thing to note is that at about this time in the story, um, the, uh, there are professionals and historians and, and, um, theologians out there far smarter than I am that have come to a general agreement that the the disciples were probably or the boat was probably um, in an area of the sea that was about five miles or eight kilometers wide um, which means they weren't really close to the shore they probably um, you know if you consider it some sort of um some sort of indication where they were they were probably still 10 maybe just under 10 kilometers away from the other side of the sea so they still had quite a while to go um, <clears throat> and so it, it kind of speaks to how suddenly the storm came upon them because the disciples were caught completely off guard like they thought that they could just make it and they weren't even close to just making it um, they were pretty much halfway through their journey so Verse 38, this is where I think the, the story becomes really interesting. It says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And, and maybe let's just stop at that part of the verse. Um, something that, that a lot of people maybe don't know, and, and you can experience not just from teaching and preaching, but uh, maybe if you've ever done a, a school project that you had to do a presentation or something from, um, potentially you've experienced it, but I know for me, um, after preaching, especially on a weekend, uh, 
I just want to go and crash. Like I, I want to go sit on my couch and just relax for the rest of the day. Uh, teaching can be, it can be draining, uh, truly. And, and this isn't to say that we don't enjoy doing it. I, I love preaching. I love teaching. I love studying. But when you're done, you're exhausted. And that's just kind of the way that it is. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't like it. That doesn't mean that it's not good to do. Um, it's just you've given everything you can give. You have poured out your heart. You've poured out a message that you truly believe that God has given you. Um, you feel convicted to to share that message. And, and after you do, your body is just so tired. And that's actually why a lot of pastors take Mondays off, because on the weekends, usually, um, if you're teaching on the weekends, Monday, you are you are in no shape to go back to work. You are usually pretty tired. Now, not everybody is like that. Some people, um, some people get their rest before going up. Um, others prefer it after. And that's why Andrew and I, when we're done with youth on Tuesday and Wednesdays, We'll take the first three hours of the day on Thursday um, off and we'll not off, but we'll we'll take it a little bit easier. We'll debrief. You know, we're not going to jump right into doing emails and all that kind of stuff. We'll, we'll kind of take it slow and, and just make sure that we are um, we're ready. We're ready to go back at it. Um, so, yeah, there it's it's real uh, that kind of exhaustion from teaching. The other thing about this this rest that Jesus is taking on the cushion is I think this was like a faith rest because if I were in Jesus's shoes at this moment and I had all the, the things on my list that I could be worrying about, like being taken captive, you know, being killed, drowning in this storm, having disciples that just don't quite seem to get what I'm trying to teach them. I would easily stay up all night every night worrying playing through situations in my head constantly wondering if I'm doing the right thing if this is going to be the end of me the end of my ministry um, Jesus had a list longer than most to of things that he could be worrying about at this moment and yet he was able to find rest and he was able to sleep and, and quite soundly, by the sounds of it, uh, through a storm, for the most part. Um, when I was a teenager, I didn't find this kind of rest. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was... I wasn't... Um, I was a good student as far as, like, I understood the concepts that were being taught and I could regurgitate information. But I was a bad student as far as like doing my work was concerned. Um, and, and I remember telling my parents constantly that, you know, no, I don't have any work to do right now or, or no, I'm fine. Like, trust me, there's nothing that I need to be doing tonight. I don't have homework, whatever. Um, and I remember going to bed some nights and I would just stare at the ceiling and think, why did I say that? I, 
because then I couldn't like hide myself in my room and, you know, do my homework because then mom and dad would figure out that I lied to them. So I would have to kind of not do work and, and try to do it on the bus. And I, I just remember the stress and the worry that brought about and, and how little I was able to sleep at the time. And, um, yeah, like, man, I, I get this not being able to sleep from worry. Um, and Jesus just trusted his father so much. He trusted his father that he was going to take care of him, that he was able to find rest among all of the, like fearing for his life, um, knowing that your, your life is at risk and still being able to find rest in that. That's incredible. The second part of the verse says, the disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And I think this is interesting. And, and we're going to come back to this part of, of what they say. because So they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? The first time I read this, I read this as a cry for help. And I don't think that it is. So I want to keep reading, and we're going to jump back to this part of the verse. So verse 39, it says, He got up, and he rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Verse 40 says, He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now I think verse 40 uh, the reason I wanted to move on from the second half of 38 was because I think verse 40 speaks uh, to that second half of 38. See, when I first read through this, I thought, Jesus, how can you say that they had no faith when they ran to you for help? They, they called out or they called upon the Lord. That sounds like faith to me. And here's why I said before that I don't think that them saying, teacher, don't you care if we drowned, was a cry for help. Because I don't think it was anymore. I used to. I don't think it's a cry for help because of how they responded to Jesus in verse 41. Or rather to his miracle where they say, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And how they respond to what he says in verse 35, where it says, let us go over to the other side. Jesus had no intention of letting them drown ever, but they missed the point. They didn't see that. And so when they said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? The important part of that is the we. They're, they're saying we as in, teacher, you're included in this. We all are going to drown. They're not saying, Jesus, quick, come out here and perform a miracle. They're basically saying, like, wake up, get a bucket, and help us bail. Um, you know, Jesus was a carpenter by trade. He wasn't a, a fisherman by trade. And so, um, you know, logically, they would have no reason to go to Jesus for, uh, for advice or anything like that about, about how to get a boat through a storm. There were... Um, you know, if you were to look at it from the human point of view, there were more 
um, qualified people on board to guide a ship through a storm. And so they're, when they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? They're not going and waking him because they, they want him to perform a miracle. I think they're frustrated that he's asleep. I don't think they get it. I don't think they fully understood. And I don't think I would have either if I were in their position, to be completely honest. It's really easy to look at the way that the disciples live and criticize it. Um, but, but I don't think I would have been any better. Um, I don't think that I would have done the right thing. See, Jesus wanted them to come to him and say, Hey, Jesus, um, we're in a really tough situation right now. We know you've got our back. Uh, we know that you're going to protect us. Um, and we need your help now. I, I think that would have been um, more of an appropriate way to go about this. I think that would have been closer to doing the right thing than Jesus, like, wake up. Do you not care? We're all drowning right now. Grab a bucket, get off your butt, and let's go. That's, that's the attitude that they went into that stern with. To wake Jesus. Um, they didn't go into it with the trusting and believing that Jesus is going to do a miracle. So that's why the first time I read this, I was confused by verse 40 when Jesus said, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Because when I read it the first time, I thought that they did. But the more I looked at it, the more I read this story over, the more I broke it down verse by verse by verse, the more I realized that no, they didn't have faith at all. They were, they put more faith in their physical abilities than they did in the divinity of God and in the power of God. So finally, um, verse 41 says that, you know, oh, sorry, actually, before we get to verse 41. I want to just jump back into verse 39 because we kind of jumped between 40 and 38 a lot. Uh, but I want to talk about that middle part, verse 39, where it says, He got up, he being Jesus, he got up, rebuked the winds and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. The wind died down and it was completely calm. I think that Jesus was not just speaking to the storm. I think that Jesus was also speaking to his disciples. I think that Jesus was telling the disciples in that moment, this is how you should have approached me. This is how you should have responded in this time, is to be quiet and to be still. Which I think is really powerful especially because he says this right after they come and wake him up. He goes out and he, not only does he save their lives by calming the storm, but he also teaches them how they should have responded. Now, I, I don't want this to be confused. Um, I, I, I still think the right thing to do was to wake Jesus. I don't think that, um, I don't think that waking Jesus results in a lack of faith, and I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at in this story either. Um, it is easy to read this story and think, oh, well, if they just had even more faith that they were going to be okay, then they didn't have to wake Jesus. 
I, I don't think that's I don't think that's necessarily what this story is going for. Maybe some people would interpret it that way and, and who knows, maybe they they're right as well. Um, however, I think that the point of this story was how they addressed Jesus and how they approached Jesus. And and rather um, in what faith they approached Jesus. See, I, I don't I I don't believe that the the right answer was to just sit there, be quiet and be still. I think the right answer was to go and approach Jesus quietly and in stillness, because that's how we approach Jesus. We can we can be quiet, we can shut out the world for a few minutes. We can be quiet, we can be still, and we can go to Jesus. And we can say, Jesus, you are capable of saving my life again. You are capable of helping me in this situation. Please help me. Rather than running in, screaming and shouting, not ready to listen to Jesus. I, I think that the question they ask him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? It was almost facetious. Like, they were frustrated with him, and they weren't expecting a response. They weren't expecting Jesus to get up and say, yes, of course I care, or no, I, I don't. Like, they weren't expecting an answer, I don't think. I think what they were expecting was Jesus to get um, as worried as they were, grab a bucket, and start bailing. And I, I think what that says is that when we go into a situation worrying... When we worry, it's because we're, we see that our physical abilities that we trust in so much more than we trust in God are not enough in this situation. And yet we still don't trust God. I think that's what brings about worry in a lot of times. And I think when we worry, we often ignore what Jesus wants to say to us. The disciples here were worrying for their lives. They realized that their physical capabilities were not powerful enough to save their lives. They have seen Jesus speak and, and perform miraculous things, but they were so worried for their lives that it didn't cross their minds to say, Teacher, can you help save us miraculously? And I think we can expect that from Jesus. I think it's fair for us to expect miracles. I don't think it's wrong for us to ask Jesus to perform a miracle, and I don't think it's wrong for us to expect one. I think maybe, if anything, it's wrong to not expect one. And sure, Jesus could have performed a number of different miracles. He could have created a, a giant wave that scooped up the boat and surfed it back to shore. He could have hopped out and walked on the water and carried the boat on his head. And, and of course, their reaction to that would have been stunned and amazed, like they were when he calmed the storm. But I think this, this miracle that he performs is, is just so powerful to these disciples. It spoke to them so powerfully that all Jesus had to do was use his words 
and it's you know maybe they were expecting something like if anything if he was going to perform a miracle he would at least like drain the boat real quick of water or or some something that would be not more believable because a miracle is a miracle but something smaller than what they got I think that the most powerful thing that happened that could have happened was Jesus calming the storm with just his voice, which is why I say, yeah, he could have, you know, surfed the boat back or, or done a miracle and, and showed them how to steer through waves better or drain the boat of water. But instead he got up and in three words, he silenced and stopped a storm. And that's our Jesus. That's our Lord. That is our Savior. And he can do that for us. And he does do that for us. I've got, I've got stories of, of Jesus's miracles in our lives. Um, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll give you one. Um, I, have, I have seen Jesus work miraculously in my life. And that is hard for me to accept a lot of the time. Because I am more of a pragmatic thinker, I like um, I like numbers more than I like words because numbers are are accurate all the time, um, or or rather they are what they are. Um, you know, a word can can mean two or three different things, but the number two means the number two. Um, and yes, there are always uh, there are always exceptions to that when algebra comes into play and such but i i like i like things to be ordered and structured and and i can tell what's coming next down the down the line i like to know what this year is going to look like and what next year is going to look like and what the year after is going to look like so that i can plan for it um, that's kind of just the person i am that's where i find comfort and there have been times in my life where that just simply wasn't possible anymore when I was still an intern um, and I was uh, working at another church at the time, I was making about $1,000 a month. And for those of you who maybe haven't got a job yet, that, that sounds like a lot of money. Um, but I was married, moved out, um, living on our own as a couple um, with a dog. And uh, that's not a lot of money. <laughs> A thousand dollars a month is not very much to live on when you're paying rent and paying for university and paying for groceries and gas and insurance and all sorts of stuff. And there were times where I would be sitting on the couch with my wife, looking at our bank account with my calculator out trying to find a way that we could conceivably make it to the end of the month and and still be able to buy food um, and be able to uh, get to work still and, and all sorts of stuff and i remember this one specific time it was a sunday night we were sitting on our couch and uh and i was stressed i was i was so worried because I knew that there was no way I could make it to the end of the month with the amount of money that we had. We had an empty tank of gas. We had a box of crackers left, and that was about it. Our dog needed food. Um, 
and we had $30. And we were 14 days away from payday. So somehow I needed to make $30 last two weeks. And it just isn't possible. Um, I worked almost a half an hour or over a half an hour away from where we lived. My wife, the same, in the other direction. Um, there was no way that we were going to be able to buy food, get gas, do whatever we had to do to get to work so that we could be paid. And I remember sitting on the couch and I was shutting down emotionally. I, I was just, I was so worried and so stressed that I was just trying not to feel anything. And I was just, I was sitting there dumbfounded. There was, I had no idea what to do. And, uh, and so we prayed, which I want to say was one of the hardest decisions that I had to do. Um, praying when I'm worried is not my first response and it needs to be and I'm working on it but it wasn't then um, it wasn't easy for me um, it wasn't my natural first response but we decided that you know what we need to pray and so we held hands and we we closed our eyes and we prayed to God and and it was just a, a simple God we don't have enough money we don't know how we're gonna make it to the end of the month um, but we believe that you are going to take care of us. And when we were done praying, um, the opposite of what I thought was going to happen happened. I was hoping for a miracle. I don't know if I was expecting one, but I sure was hoping for one. And when we finished praying, I heard God say, can you give me some money? And I was like well that's the wrong direction you know it's supposed to go the other way this time um i need i need you to give me some i don't know if you heard my prayer correctly and i didn't at first um i i kind of sat there and and in my mind argued a little bit back and forth with god until finally I decided, you know what, sure, fine, I'll give you money. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'll give you money. I've got $30, I'll give you 10 um, which was a lot. Like, it was hard to work up to that much money to give. And, and luckily, the church I worked at, we had an app, so I was able to give online, and I did. I gave $10, um, which doesn't sound like a lot of money, but to us at the time, that was 30% of what we had. And uh, I regretted it immediately. Um, I didn't do it joyfully. I did it reluctantly. I wasn't happy about it. I was, um, I was so stressed at that point that I just couldn't even speak. I went to my, uh, I went and sat down at my computer, and uh, I was gonna play a video game and just try to zone out, and and you know ignore everything that was going on and just accept my fate. And as I did, I sat down, I turned on my computer, and uh, it loaded up, and I got a little notification as soon as my computer turned on. In the bottom right-hand corner, I got an email uh, from somebody I knew at my church. 
and I, I opened the email and I read it and I can't remember exactly what it said, but it said something like, dear Nick and Julia, we've been saving up money for a little while because we felt like God wanted us to give it to somebody and we didn't know who it was. And a few minutes ago we were praying and we felt like God wanted us to give it to you. And they were praying at the same time we were praying. At the same time I was praying to God that I need help. I need, I need money. Like I'm not going to make it to the end of the month, God. I don't know what to do. Um, at the same time I was praying that they were praying to God. God, who do we give this money to that we're saving up? And at the same time God responded to me, can you give me some? He responded to them. Nick and Julia and so we gave ten dollars and no more than three or four minutes later I'm reading this email and it was a it was an e-transfer email and if that wasn't enough to convince me that God works miraculously it was the exact amount of money and I mean down to the penny that we needed to get through the rest of the month. We had $20 or like $21.37 kind of thing in our bank account. And with the amount of money that they had sent us, it was to the penny the exact amount of money that we needed to make it the next 14 days till we got paid and we're back on our feet again. It was incredible. It was miraculous, and I counted God out because I worried. I didn't do what I was supposed to do because I worried. And then when I knew what I was supposed to do, I did it reluctantly because I worried. I trusted so much more in my own abilities and not enough in God's that when this happened, uh, I couldn't put into words what I felt. And so I tell you this story not to make it sound like I'm so great and I get, I get miracles and stuff like that and, and whatnot, because I don't. Like I, I, I want to make it very clear that I didn't receive a miracle because I deserved one. If anything, I, I deserved one less than a normal person because of how reluctant I was to do what God told me to do. But it happened, um, and that is the that is the God that I I worship. That's the God I follow. That's the God that I have devoted my life to to teaching others about. And and that's the God that I want to talk to you guys about. So join us, um, join us next week on uh, on live stream. We're gonna post this podcast uh, Thursday. So join us on, uh, on our live streams Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And we'll continue our conversations about this great and amazing God. Um, but before we wrap up, let me just quickly pray. And, uh, and I'll talk to you guys again very soon. Dear God, Lord, thank you for how great you are, how you provide for us. Thank you for your overwhelming love, God. Thank you for your willingness to to protect us thank you for your 
desire to protect us as well, God. Lord, I pray that as the week goes on, we would be focused on you, Lord, that we would be focused on on what you bring to the table for us, God. Lord, I pray that we would put more faith in you than we put in ourselves. God, it's so easy for us to to put trust in our ourselves more than we put in you, just like I did, and just like I still struggle with. But God, I pray that you would give us more and more opportunities to put our faith in you. God, I pray that those listening would be able to experience the the practical, the obvious uh, side of you, God, that, that, Lord, they would be able to, to claim something as you without, um, without any possible deniability. God, I pray that, that what they experience in their life, they would just know is you 100%. So God, we pray this in your name. Amen.